Hey, Mystery Solvers, we have some great mysteries to talk about today. But first, we want to introduce you to another awesome podcast. Hi, this is Levy, the host of Thrift Therapy, a podcast all about thrift life, shopping at thrift stores, rummaging through other people's junk at yard sales, and trying to keep the bugs off at flea markets. And then you get that one thing for $2 and it totally makes your day. That sounds like your kind of thing. Listen to the podcast at thrifttherapypod.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Woefully Unprepared, brought to you by Liz and Samantha. We're thinking about changing the name. Let us know on social yeah, media what you think formally, of Woefully Unprepared. <laughs> it was formerly known as Perhaps It's You, an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries podcast where each week we watch an episode of Unsolved Mysteries on Amazon Prime and tell you all about it. Yeah. Give you some updates, rate the mustaches, all that good stuff. Yes. My name is Liz. My name is Samantha. This is Woefully Unprepared. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, should we start with updates? Let I want to thank Instagram. Hold on. Let me get your name. Black Currents. Mm. Instagram user Black Currents told me where I can get, not necessarily where I could get, the blueberry seltzer water. <laughs> So this person... The most important part of our show. Yes, sent me a message because I've been talking about pretty much nothing else on Instagram. If you follow us on Instagram, I post stories all the time and half of them in the last couple of weeks have been about this blueberry seltzer water that I recommended last episode. Um, And But I can't find it anywhere. I could find it in one place and they only sold one liter bottles. And that was like the Cub Foods by my house and they were always sold out. Uh, This person sent me a message on, on Instagram and told me that I need to look for the seltzer aid, like lemonade line of polar seltzer water. And when I did that, I found out that there is a Target (laughs) near me that sells it in the cans. And coincidentally enough, out of all the Targets in Minnesota, because Target is a, there's a million of them. Target is a Minnesota company. We like to shop local. Yes. Uh, Only two carry the seltzer water. One is really far away and then one is really close to my house. So I really lucked out and I thank you so much. You are the hero of this podcast because I freaking love that water. You clearly made Samantha's week. It really did. Actually, I think it was Thursday. I was having a terrible day at work and finding this water at Target like made my entire day. I'm so happy I found it in the cans because carrying around a one liter bottle of water is a huge pain in the ass. I mean, maybe you needed like a sling. Like a For baby, my water? Like a baby born. I could just have a big jug of it on my back with like a straw. Or you fill out, you know those camel things that runners use for marathons? That's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. And then I could just, just have a, that. a straw that goes... Oh my god, I that'd just, be great. Yeah, carry it around with me all the time. That's not a bad idea, actually. I did order some one liter bottles before I found these cans on the internet. And so now I have a lot of this water. Because <laughs> I bought every box they had at Target. There was four, only four boxes. Only four boxes. Only. So I bought all of them. Well, I can't keep one at work, so. It's important. Anyway, I've gone on far too long about this water. Thank you, Instagram. <laughs> Black Currents. Not sure what your name in real life is, but you're my freaking hero. I thought I had another update, and I don't remember what it is now. Okay. I have a couple of updates. Okay. One is that I recorded an interview with the podcast Thrift Therapy. Yes. I, Very exciting. It's not out yet. I'll let you know when that drops 
it was very fun to do. I could have talked about thrifting for probably another 24 hours straight. Maybe no that breaks. could be your second podcast. You could... <laughs> I'm probably way more qualified to talk about that than Unsolved, than Unsolved Mysteries? Mysteries. Yeah. Fair. I've put in a lot more hours on the thrifting front than the mystery solving front. So, no, that was super fun. If people like thrift stores as much as I do, they should go listen to that with host Levy. Recommend. Thumbs up. I think that's going to be actually the promo we play. So you'll have already heard a little bit about it. Yeah. Also, next update. Stickers. Yes. So we got, got them right in some front of me. stickers. They finally came in. So we're going to send those out to all of our current Patreon people, no matter what you're donating. We're going to send you a little sheet of stickers. There's four stickers that have different phrases on them. They're super cute. And going forward, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you already get a personalized postcard sent to you, which if you have donated to our Patreon recently, we're very behind on postcards. We have a whole bunch we need to send out. And then, of course, you get access to one bonus episode a month. Yes. No matter, and that's for any level. We're hoping in the future to have some more tiers. So if you donate more money, you will get some other perks. Um, that's to be to be announced to come. Yeah, um, I think at some point in the future, stickers are going to be reserved probably for people who are donating $5 a month. But right at the moment, they'll go out to everybody. Yeah. So that's exciting. And we can post a picture of what those look like. I think they came out cute. They sure did. I really enjoyed them. We picked a few. Should we say the sayings that are on them? Sure. Okay, let me pull one out. They are, of course, there's never a treasure. Yeah, which is my favorite. Um, the cackling has to stop, which is our podcast <laughs> motto. <laughs> which is not even something that we said, but no. that's what we do with criticism is we exactly turn it into a, a banner. Uh, five out of five Robert Stacks. Sure. I mean, that's a solid... Yeah, it's a classic. It has to be on there. And making bombs is hard. Which is just a truth. And Liz did a great job designing these stickers. They have a little bit of like an ombre effect. They're real cute. I hope you like them. Yeah, a little um, subtle. You know, who wouldn't want to put a sticker that says making bombs is hard on their computer? <laughs> yeah, whatever. exactly. Whatever. Maybe not on your computer. I don't know if that'll raise some suspicion. I kind of like that idea, though. I mean, yeah, a little bit. Uh, so that's sticker update. Yes. Sticker update. So I think I just need to get some envelopes and we can send those out to all of our lovely Patreon people. Yes. And oh, speaking of Patreon, this is what I wanted to tell you. We are going to start allowing our patrons to vote on bonus episode topics. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. There is currently a form. You can find it on our Patreon page. You can also find it in our Facebook group. I have posted links to it in both of those places. You can go there and submit suggestions for things that you think would be interesting for us to watch and talk about on our monthly Patreon episodes. The idea behind that is that we're going to pull from those ideas and put together polls and our patrons can vote on episode topics that you are interested in. And then we will talk about those. Um, the suggestion box or form or whatever you want to call it is open to everyone, but only patrons are going to be able to vote. And of course, only patrons will be able to watch or listen to the episodes we record. So that's that. Go send us your suggestions. It's taken the load off of us too. I actually really like this idea. You had posted in the Facebook group, you know, asking what people might be interested in as Patreon rewards. And someone mentioned, I don't remember who the option to vote on episodes and it's kind of nice because then we don't always have to come up with the ideas ourselves yeah so we're looking for things that are unsolved mysteries adjacent not episodes of unsolved mysteries we're looking for like we did mothman of point pleasant which is a documentary this month we're going to be doing beyond belief yes 
So if you have something else that's sort of unsolved mysteries-ish that you would be interested in talking about, let us know and we'll put it to a vote. Yes. And I think we'll do a poll for if I, if we get enough suggestions or we can just come up with some ourselves too. We might do a poll for our July yeah. uh, topic good. or episode. Um, that's that. Is there anything else you want, you want to talk about? No, I'm just here, not saluting the flag as usual. You know, the huge. Yeah. Um, Typical day for me. We're yeah. going to the cemetery later. I was just for about to say that. We're going to learn about how there used to be an amusement park in Minneapolis uh, called Wonderland Park. One of the attractions of that park was incubators for premature babies. And we're going to go to the cemetery and learn about this. That's why we like to spend our Sundays. Yes. I have a little picnic basket ready to go. Um, we're going to sit in the I cemetery. I just sent Mac to the popcorn stand to buy us popcorn. Yep. So that's exciting. That's how we're going to spend our Sunday afternoon. I'm actually really <laughs> looking forward to it. This is at the Soldiers and Pioneers Cemetery in Minneapolis. We're big fans. We went on a tour last year. Liz has been to a few events there. It's really fun. And Sue, who has pretty much dedicated her retirement years to researching and maintaining and promoting the cemetery, is an amazing speaker. She's a lovely lady, and I'm really excited to hear her talk about this. The amount of research that she has done... It's incredible. ...is unbelievable. She She calls herself retired, but it seems like she has a full-time job doing this. She knows the backstory of every grave in that cemetery. Yeah. Everything about their life and it's it's just unbelievable. It's a historic cemetery, so there's a lot of history there. And if you are in the Twin Cities area, I highly recommend looking them up. They're on Facebook at I think it's Friends of the Soldiers and Pioneers yes. Cemetery. They have a ton of events in the summer and a lot of them are fundraisers for because it's all volunteer maintained. They don't bury people there anymore, so there's not really income. They get grants and donations and stuff like that. So. Exactly. So they rely on volunteers, and so yeah, look them up. It's a great, it's a great place. So I'm really looking forward to this talk. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> Are you ready to talk about some unsolved mysteries? I sure am. So we're on. Season 2, episode 10, if you're following along on Amazon Prime, which Already. I know a lot of you are, which is pretty cool. And fortunately uh, for everyone, this episode isn't quite as heartbreaking as the last one. No, I didn't cry. This one didn't rip my heart out and stomp on it, like Mm-mm. the last two. So we're doing good. I feel like this is a pretty solid episode. It actually is. You get a little variety. What's hilarious is that I saw there was a treasure segment in this one, but I didn't like count it out. And I just assumed you were going to do it. So did I. Because you always get treasure. Yeah. Like... That doesn't make any sense, but just in my mind, I was like, oh, there's a treasure. Okay, so Samantha. I can't even think of a segment, a treasure segment that you've done. So I was like, okay, so Samantha's going to talk about the treasure. And, I, and then I was like, wait, I got the treasure? <laughs> what is this? But Although, Samantha always gets the treasure. To be fucking fair, this is barely about treasure. Yeah, it's really. There's really not even Actually, that look much. At how, it's not even clear to me if anyone's even looking for this treasure. This treasure, if it look exists. Look at how short the Unsolved Mysteries wiki on this. <laughs> it's like is. one paragraph. It's so, and I took like most of my notes are like, this is dumb. So it's it was pretty look dumb. forward to me talking about that. It's gonna be real brief. <laughs> Shuffle papers like I'm pretending I'm on the news. Okay, can we first talk about the other? iconic stack moment we get yes, in the opening in the spooky pathway oh with the God. lights also the way that they shot it where they're zoomed in on a light fixture and then they kind of pan around to stack in his khaki trench coat in this like spooky long pathway it's the perfect place where i thought if you were going to have an unsolved mysteries parade yes which is the thing that should exist and i'm mad that it doesn't now it should this is the location to host the unsolved mysteries parade 
wherever that was. It I should assume be a in thing. Los Angeles somewhere. It should be a thing. It's funny because I was just telling Liz that I finally got around to watching the Drunk History, Drunk Mysteries segment, which I thought was going to be completely about Unsolved Mysteries. It wasn't necessarily... Um, it was about Unsolved Mysteries, and they kind of did, like, spoof the Unsolved Mysteries show, and Derek Waters, the host, played a Robert Stack, and they did, the like, the spoof of the Robert Stack in between each segment, and it's all, like, spooky and foggy and dark. I got it. It looked yet. just like this. Oh. And actually, the um, the last, like, segment, if you will, in that episode was with Georgia Hardstark from My Favorite Murder, and she did a mystery that was featured on Unsolved Mysteries, and it's crazy. I need to find out like what oh. season this is in because it. I'm not going to spoil it for you. Just go watch if you have Hulu. Drunk History is on okay. Hulu. It's a current season. I think the most recent episode um, is Drunk Mystery, and it's kind of bananas. Actually, I'm looking forward to talking about that. I don't know what season it's in, but interesting. It's funny because this opening with Stack is like what they were spoofing. In it's like I the lo- trench coat, the spookiness, the Robert Stack being real serious. I I like when we get that. Uh, me too. It's iconic. Yeah, it's kind of what we're tuning in for. Kind right? of. Yeah, exactly. A little bit. I wish there was a uh, moment like that in every episode. I know. Or they should have just added it. So you're like, wait, wasn't that in the last episode? Oh, it doesn't matter. <sighs> doesn't matter. Because we get we need to get a little touch of that. Oh, internet trend. I am very much in favor of. I posted an example of this. I don't know how much this is trying. Like three people did it. Whatever. Let's hope it catches on. Uh, people taking commercials from the 80s and 90s and just putting the Unsolved Mysteries theme on top of <laughs> I it. I saw that. So that it's terrifying. I posted an example. If you remember the commercials for My Buddy, which was like a large doll for boys. And then it has the Unsolved Mysteries theme over it, and it becomes completely terrifying. Very terrifying. Which, Go watch it. It's posted on our Twitter and in our Facebook group. Yes. Because I just remember that commercial so much being played, like, every single commercial break during Saturday morning cartoons. And it was kind of terrifying a little bit, even without the music, <laughs> because it's a little bit like a Chucky doll. Yeah. It's going to come alive and murder yeah. you. But, um... I, I just want to see everything with Unsolved Mysteries music over it to really? make it un- needlessly ominous, <laughs> which is also a great phrase. Yeah, needlessly ominous. Needlessly a little bit better than, ominous. what were you calling this podcast? I've already forgotten. Uh, woefully Unprepared. Yes. Which yes. is how I felt. This is how I felt when, okay, I have a first mystery. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries wiki considers this the case of John Hawkins, who's who they were looking for at the time of being aired. I think of this as the Dr. Boggs case. I knew there was a forensic files about yes. it. So last night I was like, oh, I'll watch the forensic files like as I'm going to bed, which is like so luxurious anyway. But then as I, I was like, wait, it's this one? And then I was like, I should have done way more to prepare that I didn't realize was this case. Yeah, this case is kind of crazy. It's so weird. So now I feel woefully unprepared. Okay, I get you. I get you. Listen, all we have to talk about in this mystery really is the, the reenactments because there are so many mustaches in this reenactment. I've never seen so many mustaches in my life. Yeah, the the MVM for this episode, the most valuable mustache, is the whole fucking episode. Because there's it's chock full of mustaches, you guys. And the first one in particular is, is full of cop mustaches. Oh my god, Liz's sketchbook is just I'm completely full. Four mustaches just from this first segment, and I just wrote Cobb Mustache Parade. <laughs> it really is. Because apparently I had parades on the brain while I was taking these notes. I don't know why. I was writing down each mustache, and then I finally just gave up, and I wrote, holy cop mustaches in this mystery. That's the winner. They're everywhere. This entire police force. That's who wins. So this is an interesting case. I feel like I'm not going to do it justice. 
we can do some updates later. I don't know. Sure. I was very upset about this at like one in the morning. <laughs> well, it was too late at that point. That I, yeah. Well, woefully unprepared. That's I was like, fine. oh, fuck. That's fine. I've already fucked it up and we haven't even started. So, um, oh, this also opens with like the most hilarious music that like swells with a saxophone. I don't, it's again, <laughs> like the most unsolved mysteries thing. <sighs> anyway, let's do it. This is a shook. I am already. So, it's April 16th, 1988. At 7 a.m., paramedics respond to an emergency call at a Glendale County Medical Office for the, to the doctor, Richard Boggs. Inside, they find the body of a young man just lying completely, like, if the reenactment is correct, lying completely flat on the floor with his arms at his side. Yes. Like a very posed, yes, uh, undisturbed body. Anyway. Dr. Boggs identified the man as Melvin Eugene Hansen, who had come to his office at five in the morning mm-hmm, complaining mm-hmm. of chest pains. You don't do that? No. You don't, but you wouldn't go to the ER for that. You would go to your doctor. I would go to my- At five in the morning. Also, something Unsolved Mysteries doesn't point out, but Forensic Files does, is that um, Dr. Boggs is a neurologist. Oh, makes total sense. <laughs> so- uh, you Why de- would this seem suspicious? I you definitely it. wouldn't go to him with chest pains. That's not what he does. <laughs> anyway. That's your head. That's a different part yeah, of the body yeah. entirely. So, Box claimed that Hansen had been a patient for seven years and that he had recently been experiencing heart trouble. And that he had asked him to meet him at the office at 5 a.m. for an EKG and other medical tests. Uh-huh. Sure. So when Doesn't seem weird yet. I don't in, know. <laughs> in the reenactment, when uh, Dr. Box is explaining this to a cop, and the cop was sort of like, why didn't you have him meet you at the hospital? Why did If he was having chest pains, why did he come here? And Dr. Box was like, oh, well, you know, he, whew, it's hard enough to get him to come here for his regular appointments. He, like, hates going to the doctor. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> According to Boggs, after the tests were completed, he let Hansen lay down in an examining room to rest. Something my doctor often lets me do. Sure. Just take up a room sure, and waste Sure, when you're having a heart attack. To yeah. rest? Yeah. Okay, a few minutes later, he heard a loud thud and heard Hansen, found Hansen lying unconscious. He claimed he called 911, but the line was busy for two hours. Right. At five in Norm, the morning. That's how it usually is. Two hours? Yeah, sounds right. Uh, which when he is in the reenact, I realize this is the reenactment, but I hope it's totally accurate. He is like telling the paramedics like, oh, I tried to call 911 and it was busy. And they just show one of the paramedics looking up with him with this bitch please face where he's just like, (laughs) what? Was it the paramedic with the sweet mullet? I don't remember. I hope it was. Let's just say it was. There was quite a mullet on that EMT. So he tried supposedly to resuscitate quote unquote Melvin Eugene Hansen. Until the paramedics arrived. Uh-huh. At first, his death appeared to be natural. Uh, no, it really didn't. It really didn't appear to be natural Not at all. all. Because when the paramedics examined the man's body, there were some inconsistencies with Dr. Bog's story, as you may have picked up from my tone. For example, Rigamortis had said it. <laughs> that's pretty suspicious. I'm not a doctor, but that's not right. Right? We all know that. You read an Agatha Christie novel or something, yeah. so you would go, huh, huh. That's weird. That meant that the man had died before the time that Dr. Boggs had claimed. Uh Uh-huh. Also, the EKG was determined to have last been used before midnight, not at 5 a.m. Yeah, he's not even, like, good at this shit. No. 
suspiciously, uh, suspicious paramedics called the police. Mm-hmm. What they don't mention in Unsolved Mysteries, but is in Forensic Files, is when they take the EKG, right, strip of paper, and then they get the file, because supposedly this man has been coming to him for seven years, right? So Dr. Boggs hands over his medical file, and there's previous EKGs in there. But when they lie them out, it's just one strip of paper that he ripped multiple times and put different dates on because he compiled that file while the man's lying there dead on the floor. Oh, my God. That's the delay in time, I think, (laughs) is that he's making up this fake medical file before. Because I was like, why, if this guy dies around midnight, does he not call... You know, why does yeah. he let him lie there and let Regan Morris set in? And I think it's because he's faking this medical file. Oh, okay. For when the paramedics show up. Wow. Okay, I, think I have questions, but I'm going to save them for the end. Okay. That's my theory. No, they, that makes total sense. They didn't specifically say that, but he has to have faked the file at some time. And I don't think he knows this person until that night. So yes. I don't know. I don't know. That's my theory. Anyway, um, so the cops come in. They're suspicious. It seems unlikely they would have gotten a busy signal at 911. The body is identified from three credit cards and a birth certificate that's in his wallet. However, no photo ID is found. But no one seems to question that. Hmm. I don't know. The 80s were a strange time. Yeah. So Dr. Box gave the police a name, Hansen's emergency contact, his business partner, John Hawkins. This is the part that bothers me the most. Police were reluctant to question Box further as he was a respected doctor in Southern California. Oh, okay, right. Um, yeah, which means jack shit when there's a super suspicious death that just happened. Could this be more suspicious, really? No. Like, there's Not really. so many... It was so suspicious that the paramedics called the police and were like, you should look into this guy. Because this body's clearly we're been dead for a while. Pretty sure also, he killed this guy. why would he be at your office? Also, blah, blah, blah. What they don't talk about in Unsolved Mysteries is there's also a report from a different man saying, uh, Dr. Boggs lured me to his doctor's office and attacked me with a taser. Oh, okay. But I managed to escape. Okay. Yeah, but he's your respected doctor. <laughs> but, so but he's your respected doctor. So And there's nothing to co- collaborate that story. That's not the word I'm looking for. Corroborate. Yes. There's nothing to corroborate that story. So they just let that go. Yeah. Uh, if you're rich, you can do anything. Pretty, pretty much. much. Pretty much. Great. That's really great. So, um, yeah, he had a great medical practice. Therefore, he can't be guilty of anything. What Also, what's bothering about this is that his practice and medical li- license are in jeopardy in this point. He's been... He's lost access to several hospitals in the area. He's no longer allowed to admit people. He's in massive debt. Uh, and is like... This was before the murder? Yeah. Huh. So he's, he's like, not really that much of a respected doctor. He's like spiraling into bankruptcy. Yeah. Also, doesn't sound that respected. No. But I, I guess he had been. So... At one time? Yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. When the body was examined at autopsy... The coroner noted that the man appeared younger than the stated age of 46. <laughs> However, the body could not be examined further when Hans's business partner, John Hawkins, arrived. This made no sense Why? to me. Why? I, I, that's not clear to me. Did they explain in the um, forensic files why this man's business partner had so much say in what happened to his dead body? 
Because, okay. Did he not have family? That's the thing. Is this scam has been set into work for like a year previously. Okay. So, John Hoskins is listed as the like sole heir. His business partner? Yeah. He's like cut out his family. Okay. So that his family won't come in and go, hey, that's not... That's not his body. How did they accomplish that? Right. Well, <laughs> we'll get we'll get to okay. it. Okay. But I have so many questions about this. This is a complicated case, and it's weird. And I feel like and they don't really go that much into it in Unsolved Mysteries. So you're no. left with a lot of like, how? And they could have done it better. I don't understand how this. Could I think happen. they wanted to leave out some more salacious details, but I also am not sure how necessary those details are to the case. Okay. And yada yada yada. Sure. Okay, the two had, so the business partner claims the body. He's the one that says, yes, that is my partner, you, Melvin Eugene Hansen. We own a clothing store together called Just Sweats, which they fail in Unsolved Mysteries to show the commercial for, but it's hilarious. Just Sweats? Do they just sell sweatpants? Yeah. It was the 80s. Why is this not around today? Well, it I was wanna, really I would shop there all the time. Okay, well... It was a front. I want this to be a real store that's ex- that exists now. <laughs> that sold sweatpants, sweatshirts, that kind of thing, because it was the that 80s. Sounds lovely. And uh, it was a scam that they started, but ended up being sort of successful for a while. Well, I can see why. And then... I mean, I'd shop there. But then was going bankrupt because they were, like, not really, you know, keeping the books okay. legitimately. Makes sense. But anyway, it probably could have... If they had run it as a legitimate business, I feel like it would still be with us today. Just sweats. Anyway... I just oh my god if anyone could get us some just sweats sweats please oh my god I want some just sweats um Hawkins made it clear that he had to settle Hanson's affairs quickly before he returned to his business this in Ohio is always a red flag someone shows up and it's like we gotta cremate this dude now like yes red flag immediately also yeah he's filing for a million dollar life insurance policy right we got to take some time with that he's insisting that he be cremated i think the place they show is the mortuary in the reenactment is actually um hollywood forever cemetery oh like inside a mausoleum because you get these like gigantic marble statues very ornate yeah i don't think the local crematorium (laughs) Looks Look like, like that. that. I think I'm pretty sure that's from Hollywood Forever Cemetery, so that's kind of cool. Um, also, okay, what I okay. Two months later, on June 9th, 1988, a detective received a call from the insurance company about the one million dollar life insurance policy. They asked if photographs of the body had ever been compared to photographs of Hansen. Hmm. A comparison that hadn't been done. Seems like maybe it should be. What's weird about that is the fucking insurance company had already paid out the claim. Oh, my God. So John Hawkins already has his million dollars. And this, the woman, they sh- they do like a little reenactment on Forensic Files. It's like closing her file. Like literally like <laughs> do do do. And she's like, oh, do we actually have a photo for this file? Did the police ever actually make a like photo ID of this corpse? No. So several weeks later, they get a copy of his driver's license, and it's obviously not the same dude. Also, they show on Forensic Files that a California driver's license has a thumbprint on it. Oh. And the thumbprint doesn't match. Okay, well, come on. (laughs) So Dr. Boggs claims, like, oh, I've been scanned this whole time. 
I've been seeing this patient for years, and he always said his name was Melvin Eugene Hansen. Sure, Dr. Boggs. Yeah. Sure. Uh-huh. Um, and the body was identified to be 32-year-old Hollywood bookkeeper named Ellis Henry Green. When they went to question Hawkins, they found that he had disappeared. His convertible was left with the top down at the airport and the keys in it. <laughs> he okay. clearly wanted it to be stolen, but the police found it first. Um, despite evidence, Boggs continued to ex- insist that he had no idea and that that man was Hanson. When they looked through his phone records, they found that numerous calls were made between the business partners and Hawkins' personal number. They also discovered that he received calls from a man named Wolfgang von Snowden. Yes. <laughs> he had spoken to the day, him the same day that Ellis was found dead. If you're going to pick a fake name, (laughs) I understand the temptation to go with Wolfgang Von Snowden. I do understand. But but don't. Come on. That's the fakest name (laughs) I've ever heard in my life. Again, Wolfgang Von Snowden. We need another little alien that we can name Wolfgang oh von Sh- Snowden. We oh, have okay. Sheriff Pat Garrett. I'm so sorry, listener Mary Bumpy Jean. You've given us so much. You need to make another alien. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm looking at Bumpy the Kid right now. He, is, he watches over us. Sheriff Pat Garrett is at my house. He watches over us to bring us good luck on this podcast, and yes. he kind of wishes his name was Wolfgang von Snowden. Anyway. By January 29th, 1989, at the Dallas International Airport, a suspicious man was interrogated by customs. The reenactment of this is hilarious because Wolfgang von Snowden is acting quite suspiciously. It's also hilarious because he's in line and there's like a guy with a surfboard. Yeah. Like in this customs line and he's like wearing a tank, like a tank top and swim shorts. Like where is this guy coming from? He had to declare his surfboard. I guess. I also liked... I don't know if you still see this anymore, but I did like the white woman who's wearing a giant sombrero <laughs> because she went on a vacation and bought a hat and now has to like wear that hat to get it home. Of course. Hilarious. That is an unfortunate thing to use <laughs> at the airport. Anyway. But yeah, a guy with a surfboard, a woman with a sombrero, and then Wolfgang von Snowden with 14 grand in cash that he had not yes. declared in his bag. And the custom agents who's like, take off your sunglasses. And he's like, what? Why? It's bright in here. And the guy's like, take off your sunglasses, dude. You're wanted for murder. Yeah, don't. <laughs> you're not like, you're, they're, they're can not. you act more suspicious, really? Yeah, they're not so great. You might as well crimes. have like one of those sunglasses mustache, fake mustache combo things. Yeah. Like, no one can know what I who I am. No one will know I'm not Wolfgang von Snowden. <laughs> so they found that he was carrying all this money, which in the reenactment, he's like, what? I'll fill out the form. Who cares? Like, that's probably not the greatest attitude to take when you're found smuggling cash. It is definitely not. They also found false IDs, the ID from Wolfgang von Snowden, but also the actual driver's license for Ellis Henry Green, who was the corpse. Yep. Sorry, Ellis. The agents determined that Snowden was wanted by the authorities. Guess what? Wolfgang von Snowden was not his real name, Samantha. What? He was the real Melvin Eugene Hansen, which is a perfectly fine name. Sure. Sure, just go with Melvin. Unless you're running from the authorities, in which case you obviously need a fake name. Yeah, that's the problem. So Dr. Boggs was arrested a few days later and continued 
to maintain that he had no idea how this had all happened, except that he's the person that was with him when he died. Right. There was that little detail. (laughs) Alice's uh, blood alcohol level was 0.29 at the time of his death. So authorities believe that he was led to the office and killed. However, since he was cremated and for whatever reason, the autopsy is like not completed. I guess because the body was claimed and I don't, that's still the part doesn't make any sense to I me. I don't get it. They're not sure how he died. He was drugged or poisoned or suffocated. Okay, well. He, because they thought that he had died of a heart problem. So they're not really sure how that was induced. The point of this Unsolved Mysteries was that Hawkins was on the run with his million dollars in cash and they wanted to catch him. Sadly, Unsolved Mysteries cannot take credit for this. Our enemy, America's Most Wanted, can. So this case first aired on December 6th, 1989 on Unsolved Mysteries. In 1992, an America's Most Wanted viewer recognized Hawkins as, quote-unquote, a former lover. Okay. The viewer gave investigators enough information to locate Hawkins in Italy, and he was arrested after five years on the run. He was found guilty of fraud and conspiracy and sentenced to 25 years in prison. He was released after serving 20 years. Boggs and Hansen were convicted of murder, fraud, and conspiracy. They were sentenced to life in prison for their part of the murder. Boggs died of a heart attack in 2003 while serving his sentence. What is not in Unsolved Mysteries that is in Forensic Files is that Ellis Henry Green is like picked up at a gay bar and brought back to the doctor's office to be killed. Okay, that's things are starting to make a little more sense now. So I think, on the one hand, Friends of Files is acting like this is sort of like a very salacious detail, and they even talk about some people going to like a bondage club, and you see like a shot of someone getting whipped, and then I was like, what does that have to do with? It's not Nothing. like they could have picked him up at any bar. Well, it's also like they didn't pick him up at that bondage club; they picked him up at a normal gay bar. <laughs> so I don't know why they bring that. It's totally irrelevant Just to the to case. Be more scandalous yeah it's like if you were saying like oh but did you know that bank robber once used viagra like it's not (laughs) no relevance no couldn't be less relevant um but one of the questions i had was how okay so when you said that they had the ekg it seems like they did it that night yeah and like cut it up like how did they get this guy to cooperate for that well if his blood alcohol was 0.2 I, okay, what the guy who got tased and escaped said is that he thought he was going to the doctor's office for some kinky sex, ended up getting tased, and ran out. And then the cops were sort of like, oh, we don't want to get involved in this lover's spat with this respected doctor, right? Um, So, in theory, Ellis Henry Green got lured to the doctor's office the same way. Okay, yep. And then we're not quite sure how he was murdered, but... It could have been a whole host. I mean, this guy was a doctor. He He could have stopped his heart with whatever. The other creepy thing that I don't know if it's relevant (laughs) that was brought up in Forensic Files is when they did the search of the doctor's office, just like in drawers with medical equipment was sex toys. Oh. Which scares the fuck out of me. Yes. (laughs) That they like show this drawer that has like tongue depressors and stuff, but also has like a dildo in it. Oh my God. I hate that. Yes. So much. Yes. Does that really have anything to do with this crime? I don't know. Well, it might suggest that he has taken people back to his office. That's what I thought. So, like, it's something he's comfortable doing. Yeah. And maybe people knew that, and that's part of the reason why they would be willing to go there. Possibly. 
Yeah. Right? Especially like, if that's a smallish community and... That's what I was thinking. Yeah. That, like, it didn't seem that suspicious to them because they were like... He, oh, yeah. I've he does this with people this. all the time. It sounds yeah. fun. Yeah. And that that's how they lured someone there. And I'm guessing the reason that the body is dead for so long before he calls the police is that he's a stab... She's trying to make a file for this person as if he's met him before that night. Yeah. Makes sense. But also, you're a doctor and you should know that they're going to be able to tell that this body's been dead. Yeah. For longer than what you say. Like, come on. These guys just seem really bad at this. The rigor mortis is set in... They said on forensic files that the like body temperature, which is how they determine time of death, usually by taking the temperature of the liver, um, that that proved he had been dead for hours before Dr. Boggs said. The other thing was that I wanted to get back to is that this scheme of killing someone else in his place to get the life insurance was set up like a year in advance that the real Melvin told his family that he was dying of AIDS, which wasn't true, that he was cutting them off, and that he was moving to California. Okay, so that makes sense for why they were able to say that the business partner right. was his so, so the executor will was written, so yeah, that he was the executor of the state or whatever, so that he would be making the decisions for his burial and identifying his body and whatever, because he was like no longer in contact with his family. Also, sadly, that means that the, one of the reasons they picked Ellis Henry Green was that he actually was HIV positive. Oh. God. <laughs> I know. It's terrible. Yeah. Because they wanted it to collaborate that lie they had already set up like a year previously. It seems like in some ways they've thought about a lot of things, and then in other ways they've like been super dumb. What I don't understand is why Dr. Boggs agrees to this when all of it basically falls on him. Right. He's the one that has to call the police. He's the one that has to murder him. He's the one that, like, is going to take all the heat while the real Melvin and John Hawkins just get a runoff. Yeah. I, I'm i not clear if John Hawkins really shared the money or not. It sort of seemed like he had all of it. I couldn't figure that out. I couldn't either. And I don't know if this is just, if the Dr. Boggs is just one of those people who thinks they're smarter than everyone else. I really think he thought, I'm a respected doctor, even though my practice is starting to suffer and people are starting to figure out I'm shady and they're not going to look into it. And he was almost right. Almost. Yeah. If some of, some, a few more details had been ironed out, he probably would have gotten away with it. That's true. Because they really should have been suspicious from the beginning. And I feel like some lower level people were, like the EMTs, seems like they were suspicious. And then possibly other people out here were like, look, you know, he's a respected doctor. Like, basically, let's not bother. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. This whole thing is crazy. Do you remember what, like, the Forensic Files, what season and episode that was in? Yes. So that is, if you are on Netflix, that is Collection 5, episode 21. And I think it's called Mistaken for Dead. Okay. There's a book I've been meaning to read for a while about this case that's called Insured for Murder. It shows up on a couple other shows. I think there's a snapped couples about it and a few other things, which I'll post if I can remember. Yeah, because I feel like the Unsolved Mysteries segment is not bad. Like, the reenactments are pretty good. They have a lot of, like, the real cops in it. But they really leave out a lot of details that make it very confusing. And when you learn the rest of it, you're like, oh, okay, this makes more sense than... I would like to know more about the Just Sweats fraud. (laughs) 
Because yes. I love the really 80s commercial of all these people like jogging and laughing and having a great time and they're all sweats outfits. <laughs> and how the three of them just like, I don't, I'm not entirely clear how these people knew Dr. Boggs. Yeah, that's not clear at all. But maybe, yeah, I don't know. And how they came up with this harebrained plan. Apparently, they were also planning to do it with another member of this group later after this worked. They were going to fake John Hawkins' desk, too. Listen, you guys, you get away with it once, maybe just be fine with it. Okay, so this was on Forensic Files. It was on America's Most Wanted, which was how John Hawkins get captured. And there's also a snapped killer couples episode about it. Sure. If you want to know more about this case. We should do Snapped for a Patreon episode. Maybe I think so, absolutely. If I ever get around to reading this book, I'll do an update. I think it's a really interesting case because, yeah, it's like in some ways so well thought out and then in some ways not at all. And I wonder if that's just different members of this trio. Possibly. Like one of them is good at crimes, and but I'm not clear. It seems like Dr. Box is bad at crimes and maybe... <laughs> This Maybe whole John thing Hawkins is giving is me good at crimes. Um, evil genius vibes from yes. the Netflix show. Yes. Which I just finished and was really good. Oh, maybe we could do a Patreon about that. We could, yeah, because I finished. We finished the whole season oh. just like last week. That would be interesting because that's a, it's a weird case if that you guys ever watched that. So weird. Um. Yeah. All right. So that's that. All right. Uh, should we do the next one? This is a fraud. Although I'm not sure why it's not a missing person as well, but because they don't care about that. Part. I guess they really don't. Hilariously. So, so I want to say that the Burberry shirt comes back. Oh, it sure does. In khaki, he's in like an entire khaki outfit with it. Well, it's he's much. It's, he's also like on a yacht. I know. Which I, was hilariously like I think I posted something on Instagram that said this is a stack in his natural environment. Hilariously like yeah. okay, this is where a stack hangs out. Like he was just missing like the sweater over the shoulder. It must have been cold that day cuz he had a little bit of a like a little light jacket on, but Oh my god. Yeah, the Burberry shirt. He's comes such a back. like tennis playing dude, don't you think? Definitely. I don't is. know that for a fact. I've kind we, of purposely learned very little about Robert Stack, I know. so you can stay mythical in my mind. I think we're probably right about that. That Him being a tennis playing yacht going fellow, making love to Elizabeth Taylor and mm-hmm. going out to his yacht and I don't know, drinking a dry martini. It looked very natural. This, this shopping segment. at Burberry. So at 9 p.m. on June 8th, 1985, a yacht was found drifting offshore of Lake Michigan. Officer Wayne Brooks responded to the call, swimming out to the boat, expecting to find the boat's captain stricken with a heart attack. He entered the boat, but found nobody on board. So I guess the boat was running and just like floating I near think shore. It's hilarious that they made that guy reenact swimming to a boat in his clothes. I know. It was pretty funny. He's like, all right. He like takes his shoes off. He put like, his all into that performance, too. He jumped on the boat. He's screaming. Is anyone here? Is anyone here? <laughs> he wanted people to know that he was good at his job. Yes. The owner of the yacht was Woody Kelly, who lived with his family in Antioch, Illinois, in 1975. Kelly was a 42-year-old investment counselor. Um, he quickly became the most trusted investment advisor in town. As his number of clients increased, he prospered, buying luxurious a luxurious mansion, uh, four luxury cars, two airplanes, and three more homes and six boats. That seems like a lot. Yeah. Uh, they talked in the episode about how people were like, this guy is successful, but not this successful. Like, people were like, where is he getting Two all this money airplanes? from? Two airplanes? I mean, that's ridiculous amount of money. Yes. Um, yeah, it says, although 
he was successful, the wealth he was flaunting did seem suspicious to some people in the neighborhood. Kelly was an outgoing guy who had no trouble convincing his friends to become his clients. He promised them a 16 to 19% interest rate no. on no. their investments. No. Yes. Red I'm flag, you guys. Not a financial expert, believe it or not. But, but that ask some more questions. That when this no is offered to you. No one can guarantee that kind of interest. I no know. one. I know. Also, no one needs six boats. No, you don't. If you have six boats and you're listening to this podcast, I demand you sell three of them. It's too many boats. You can guess how many boats you can be on at one time. <laughs> one. <laughs> Get rid of some of those damn boats. What? Show off. Anybody that has six boats and two airplanes is not allowed to listen to this podcast. I On guarantee they're not. Subscribe. I guarantee they're not. So his clients <laughs> felt that he was laid back and trustworthy. One person described him as enthusiastic but not pushy. Uh-huh. They did have some good reenactments of him just like casually smoozing, laying yeah. on the charm I thick. mean, you don't need to be pushy when you're offering 16 to 19%. Yeah, really. Would you like free money? And then people are like, you know what? I would. On June 8th, 1985, Kelly showed up at a yacht dealer to check on a boat that he had just purchased. I don't know if this is, this is seven boats. Does that boats? mean it's seven boats? <laughs> it might be. Unacceptable. It might be. This is really pushed Liz over the edge. I hate people who own six boats, and I'm willing to say that. Oh, God, we're going to offend someone else. <laughs> the two, they're not allowed to listen to the show. You better, you better own a marina if you have six <laughs> boats. What? So he wanted to take it on a test run alone, but the dealer said that it was company policy that another person had to be with someone during a test drive. Makes sense. Sure. But Kelly was adamant that he wanted to go out alone. He eventually convinced the dealer to allow it, and he left. He said, who has bought six other boats from you? Me. Probably. Approximately 3 p.m., he headed out uh, going towards Waukegan, Illinois, uh, about which was about twenty miles away. This he, is the mustache of the boat guy. Oh, but God, there's so many mustaches in this. Here's episode. another one from the, the next segment. I know whose mustache that is. Is that? Do you think that could be the MVM? What the was, gold rush? No, it's, the handlebar. It's in the next all one. All the cops together. All of them. The cop mustache parade is the MVM. What do you call a group of mustaches? You know how a group of crows is a murder. A oh. group of horses is a herd. A group of mustaches is, I don't know. Tell us on Facebook. A moustache. A moustache? <laughs> a moustache? I mean, a stash of mustaches makes a must sense. A mustache. A mustache. I like it. <laughs> I like it. It's like a, a Robert stack or a stack of mustaches. A stack of mustaches. A mustache. Yeah. Yeah. So he headed out... Um. It was his destination was 20 miles away. He told his family that he would be home around 6 p.m. that night, but he never returned. Oh, my God. Over the next few days, the Coast Guard retraced Kelly's route. However, there was no sign of him. His distinctive sunglasses were found on the boat. <laughs> I wrote that down, too. What does that mean? I don't know. What did they look like? They were like they triangles? Were normal or? aviator sunglasses in the reenactment. Maybe they were made out of solid gold. <laughs> So it was suspected that Kelly had fallen overboard. The same week that Kelly disappeared, a client filed a civil suit against him, charging him with improper business practices. Investigators discovered that instead of putting clients' money into investments, Kelly would just spend their money. 
So it really explains where he was getting all this money to buy boats. <laughs> uh, he used his money to pay for his lavish lifestyle. It was later determined that $6 million of investors' money was missing. Sadly, some investors lost their homes and other properties as a result of this fraud. It turns out when you add up four cars, two airplanes, three homes, and six boats, that equals how many million dollars? Six. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Crazy. After his disappearance, many rumors rumors began to swirl about the fate of Woody Kelly. Some suspected that he had been murdered by a former partner in crime. Mm -hmm. Not really sure what evidence they have to support that. Or a dolphin. Or a a dolphin could have done it. Yeah. The porpoise of justice. (laughs) No, not that. Took him out? (laughs) Not that, Samantha. Just a normal dolphin. (laughs) The porpoise of justice. I'm picturing a dolphin coming out of the sea, holding the little scales and a gavel, (laughs) and maybe a wig. Like Lady Justice, but some porpoise. (laughs) It's like, and for your fraud, the, the dolphin knocks him off one of his six boats. I was picturing a little dolphin with a tiny police hat. <laughs> and since they all have mustaches in this episode, he'd have a little mustache. <laughs> and he would just jump on, like, out of the water and over Wee! the boat. And on his way, he just, like, knocks Woody <laughs> Kelly into the water. Yeah. What is wrong with this, this episode? I don't know. I feel slightly delirious. <laughs> Porpoise of justice. I don't even know where that came from. Okay. Uh, it came from the fact that we don't know that didn't happen. It's true. Prove it didn't, <laughs> folks. So, other people suspected that an accomplice picked him up by boat or seaplane. I wrote down, I really hope it's seaplane. Sea There's plane. not enough seaplanes in these mysteries. Investigators continue to follow up on... legit forgot exists. A seaplane. I mean... I hope. Fingers crossed. What if he got abducted by aliens? Did anyone look into that? I mean, I don't think so. We could break this case wide open. Investigators continue to follow up on leads about Kelly's whereabouts. However, they have no idea if he is still alive. So the result is uh, is unsolved. In 1992, seven years after Kelly's disappearance, his wife tried to have him declared legally dead, but two witnesses appeared to testify that he was still alive. One witness was a deputy chief who said that he had seen him in Tampa, Florida in 1990. The other witness was a fire captain who claimed to have seen him in Waukegan in July 1991. Instead of being legally declared dead, Woody Kelly was indicted on 18 counts of mail fraud. There is still a warrant for his arrest. He is 5 foot 11 and 200 pounds with blue eyes, brown hair. Today he would be 74 years old. I'm thinking he probably died. Yeah, when he died, who knows. But Or how or why. I don't know. Did the porpoise of justice <laughs> get him? Get him. <laughs> Did That's my theory. He leave on a seaplane. God, I kind of hope so. It's just these these mysteries where they just they claim that maybe they're out there, they escaped, whatever. And then they're never seen again. Yeah. Or so suspect Did any to of me. that money gets... I guess he had already spent it all. I understand. So what is he escaping with? I have no idea. He couldn't bring his homes with him. No. Did he have a lot of cash left? It sounds like he spent it all. It kind of did. So I don't this know... This guy had no exit plan. No. He was like, I'm just going to keep spending everybody's money until... Oh, crap. Yeah. I... I think maybe he either killed himself or he really did just fall off this boat or... I kind of think he killed himself. That seems... 
the, he, the walls were closing it in. sounds like he knew he was being found out because the yeah. very same week he disappeared someone filed suit against yeah. him so, i think he knew that the jig was up the gig was up whatever he knew something was up that seems more likely and they himself. never even mentioned that as a, a possible theory in the episode that or he's standing on his boat and he sees another boat on the horizon that he wants and he like reaches for it and then falls <laughs> off <laughs> That could have I been. think it's hilarious to refer to this as a fraud because they don't really care if the guy's dead or not, which is... We just want to solve this fraud. Which is, I guess is fine because he scammed all these people. Also, isn't the most surprising part that this guy's not from Medford, Oregon? Yes. Yes. That is the biggest mystery. The true mystery. How is this guy... Has this guy never heard of Medford? <laughs> Where you're supposed to go to con people? Apparently not. Does this mean I have to talk about treasure now? You sure do. This is a, can we even call this a treasure no, mystery? No, it's so stupid. It really has nothing to do with treasure. If anybody was looking to watch... No one's even looking for this treasure anymore. It's literally just like a history segment. If you wanted to watch a dollar store version of Westworld, here we go. Here you go. There is the handlebar mustache. There's quite a handlebar mustache Yeah, I, I called this mustache the gold rush. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Makes sense. That's the real guy. Benak treasure? Benak treasure. Do you even know how to say that? Bannock. Bannock. Bannock treasure? This is a case of Bannock treasure, a.k.a. plumber's treasure, which I might just keep calling it that. But it's in Bannock, Montana. It dates to 1863. It is now a small ghost town in the Bitterroot Range on the southwestern tip of Montana. What I find weird that Unsolved Mysteries didn't talk about is that there are ghost stories connected to this town. That sounds way more interesting than this garbage. The treasure is said to consist of more than a thousand pounds of nuggets, coins, and gold dust. What? I don't think you can count gold dust that's been <laughs> hidden as a treasure. It's dust. How are... <laughs> this is just shaking her head. I'm hanging my head in treasure shame. Do you think they bag it up? Listen, we should have got Maxwell on the show. We've been talking about having Maxwell from Relic Podcast, the podcast that does a really good job with Lost Treasure Stories. Uh, come on the show and help us out with one of these. Maxwell is an amazing host. Although I feel like this one, he would be like, guys, this is, d- this is dumb. It would be a Rochelle we, situation we where he'd to- be like, why did you invite me on the show to talk about this dumbass mystery? Okay. God damn it. I'm going to talk about this thing now. Oh, though, do we see Robert Stack in a leather jacket in front of the ghost town? We sure do. Robert Stack had a great time saying that these people refuse to give up the location of their hidden booty. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it, and it still cracks me up. Oh, yes. We're all looking for that hidden booty. <laughs> aren't, okay. aren't we all? Since 1863, treasure seekers and fortune hunters have been, sh- have been searching for the treasure <laughs> of Sheriff Henry Plummer in the hills around Panarak. Around the turn of the century, two men found part of it and stored it in a bank before vanishing the next morning. This mystery, okay, so the part of this that is kind of interesting <laughs> is they talk about this corrupt sheriff. Yes. Who's like in this outlaw gang. Do you, do you know what the outlaw like gang was called? They had like a okay, posse I name. I have it here somewhere. So Henry Plummer was a prospector, a lawman, and also an outlaw. <laughs> <laughs> Which, okay, he was, ele- I kind of almost respect that. He was elected sheriff of Banarack, Montana, from 1863 to 1864, hmm, during the period when she was accused of being a leader of a quote-unquote road agent gang of outlaws known as the Innocents. 
That's what they were called? Yes. <laughs> that sounds like the opposite of what you would call yourself. I know, but it's kind of amazing, actually. Kind of. That they called their band of outlaws the Innocents, which preyed on shipments from Virginia, Virginia City to other areas. In response to some leaders in Virginia City formed a vig- vigilance committee and began to take action against Plummer's gang. Oh, yeah, they just literally mobbed together yeah. and... And they, were, they were just a different group of outlaws that were hunting these outlaws. I love that Robert Scott claimed that they gave people trials. Yeah, okay. Which was kind of like, okay, the trial was walking them to the noose. <laughs> I was beating them up. Yes. Maybe they confessed something and then hanging them. That was their trial. Um, they did gain confessions from a couple men they quote-unquote arrested in January 1864. On January 10th, Plummer and two associates were arrested by the vigilantes, and then hanged. Plummer was given a posthumous trial in 1993. What? Which led to a mistrial. What? The guys... Don't we have anything better to do with our time? I don't know why we bothered. Okay. Okay. All right. Look, he was originally from Maine. He headed out west to... For the gold rush in California. He... And within two years, he owned a mine, a ranch, and a bakery in Nevada City. He was elected sheriff and city manager. Yeah. That, okay, this mystery is really mostly just shots of guys galloping around yeah, on horseback. There is nothing to this. And then they don't really even talk about modern-day treasure hunters trying to find this. They really just end the mystery by saying, it's a national park now and no one can look for the treasure. <laughs> but they're pretty sure it's out there. So I don't really like know what the point is. son kind of looking for it, but I don't think they officially can because they wouldn't be able to claim the treasure. Um, I really don't know what the point is. I did like the reenactments of the guys on horseback. They look real fun as someone who rides horses. I'm sure it was fun. You got to wear a duster and a hat. Yes, there was lots of good like costumes, but um, that's really all that there was. I'm to looking this for. They said at some point that they didn't know before electing him sheriff that Plummer had just gotten out of Sam Quentin, where he had been sentenced. And, and Sam Quentin was brand new at the time, I think. Yeah. Oh, he had killed someone. On September 26, 1857, Plummer shot and killed John Vader, a city marshal of Nevada City, California. Plummer had been providing protection to Lucy Vader, John's wife, who had been seeking escape from her abusive husband. Hmm. Plummer claimed he was acting in self-defense in the incident, but was convicted of second-degree murder. He won an appeal for a retrial and was convicted again (laughs) and sentenced to 10 years in San Quentin. So after he served that time he got out became sheriff and also became a criminal right and there was you know no background checks back then yeah i mean you really could just come to town and be like hey this is me i'm gonna do whatever i want now so yeah he became sheriff and then also started robbing this gold i guess it seems like they robbed stagecoaches yeah they they robbed stagecoaches and then hid the gold supposedly i guess it doesn't really seem like they did no they probably spent it also, this is one of those things for sure. You don't know if someone's found that treasure. They're not going to tell you. No. Because they're not supposed to be taking it out of this park. Right. And they don't want to pay tax on it. Yeah. So don't go look for this. It doesn't exist. Also, it seems like no one's looking for it based on <laughs> the mystery. Uh, this it, is real dumb. It is technically unsolved. Okay. Uh-huh. What, they did show a reenactment of him on the scaffold saying that he would give twice his weight in gold if they let him go, and they said no, and they killed him anyway. Yep. So that's the only indication that there might have been some gold out there, but also wouldn't he have said anything? I mean, they didn't believe him. 
Right. They killed him anyway. Their method of hanging people was like needlessly dramatic where they had them on a horse and then they like, <laughs> they put the noose around his neck and then like scared the horse for, away. For disaster. Yeah, yeah. You're really depending on the horse to do what you want. Right. Which also, does the horse want to be part of this? Complicit in no. the death of this man? No. If you're interested in learning about how this is a haunted ghost town, Unsolved Mysteries Wiki recommends the National Directory of Haunted Places. Okay. It's probably more interesting than this mystery. Yeah, I was like, well, why wasn't that in there then? I did a terrible job with that, but you know what? I don't even care. All right, we have one more, and it's Whee! a lost love. Woo! It's a sad lost love, but not as sad as the last two, so we and, got that I mean, going for us. it almost us. seems like a downright happy lost love compared in to In comparison last. to the last one? Yeah. It sure was. Oh, I wanted to say, speaking of the last last love we did, and I was going to look for it, and I didn't. I'll see if I can find something and post it to Facebook. So if you remember last week, we talked about Shmulek Rosenthal. Rosenthal, uh, Oh, yeah. I'll never forget. Yes. The Holocaust survivor who um, was given hope by this American GI that he met after he was liberated from the concentration camps. Someone on Instagram said that last summer, I don't know if it was actually this last summer, or not, I'll have to look it up. The Boston Holocaust Memorial was defaced, and when it was fixed and rededicated, Schmulik, uh Stephen, came and spoke at the ceremony. Oh, And I lovely. guess there's a clip of it out there somewhere. I didn't have time to look it up, but I will see if I can find it, and if I can, I'll post it in our Facebook group, because that sounds lovely. Yeah. And it would be, how old must that guy be if he yeah. was just doing that last year? Yeah. It's amazing. So, anyway, this episode includes another lost love. I don't know if this is going to be a continued theme. There's a lost love in you know, every I, one this I season. I like the lost loves now. They're growing on me. I will say that. Uh, so, in 1971, 13-year-old Leanne Robinson lived in Carson, California with her younger half-siblings, 6-year-old Jimmy and 4-year-old Tammy, and their mother, Doris. Sadly, Doris was ill with cancer, so Leanne was virtually the primary caregiver in the household. Doris and Leanne's father had divorced seven years earlier. Ellen Morrill, a neighbor who was close to the family and often visited Doris to check on her condition, um, seemed like a very wonderful woman. On her deathbed, Doris asked Ellen to take care of the children, and Ellen agreed. Just a few hours later, Doris passed away. It sounds like Doris, just like at the very last second, wrote down on a piece of paper that Ellen would get her children. I'm sure it yeah. wasn't necessarily very legally binding. I I don't want to judge. No. But I, it seems like a little more paperwork was needed yeah, in some situation. Yeah, some pre-planning for that. Um, Leanne, Jimmy, and Tammy all moved in with Ellen and her three children. The small house was, according to the show, hectic, but everyone got along well. This is... So, I don't know if this is actually what it looked like, but in the reenactment, they show a social worker come in, and there's literally, like, a book on the table. Yeah, it's out of control. And and then Ellen, like, shoes the children away, who are playing, like, very nicely, and she, like, shoes them out of the room, and it's like, I'm sorry for the mess. Yeah. And the social worker's just like, you can't possibly care for all these children. It was like, based on this, she's doing fine. Obviously, it may not have reflected reality, but... Uh, it was a little bit silly. I don't know. A book, Samantha? Can children be exposed to that? It's dangerous. So a social worker assigned to the case felt that Ellen could not provide an adequate home for Leanne, Jimmy, and Tammy. The social worker tracked down Leanne's father and also looked for a couple to adopt Jimmy and Tammy. It did make sense that um, Leanne, you know, they would f- contact her father. Yeah. Um, it was unfortunate that her father didn't want to take the other two children. And the family was separated. That's not what's best for Leanne. 
I mean, I don't know what the situation with the father was. Right. Like, financially, but... Yeah. It is a tragedy to split them up. It's really, it's really sad. And yeah, you're right. We don't know all of the circumstances. So, sadly, Leanne had to say goodbye to her brother and sister. She was sent to Texas to live with her father. Several months later, on May 2nd, 1972, Jimmy and Tammy were adopted. For years, Leanne tried to write to her siblings through the adoption agency. However, she never received an answer. They didn't give her a way to contact her siblings. No. Which They is also just lost awful. track of Jimmy and Tammy, which yeah. we'll find out later. And it seems like pretty much right away. Great adoption agency. So 13 years passed. During this time, Leanne returned to California, married, and became a successful businesswoman. In, 18, in 1987, she finally received a response from the adoption agency about the couple who adopted her siblings. They were both 26 years old at the time, Catholic and living in Ventura County, California. The adoptive father was a career Navy man who, in 1973, had the rank of first-class petty officer. They had been married for three years when they adopted Jimmy and Tammy. However, the agency lost touch with the family in 1976 when they were transferred to New York. Leanne is now searching for her lost siblings. So, um, it's solved. Good deed from and Unsolved Mysteries. This is like a really sweet update. So on the night of the broadcast, Leanne's sister, now Tammy Bouchard, was watching and called the telecenter. She is now married, has two children, and lives in Auburn, Maine. Jimmy, now James Chapman, is an army sergeant stationed in Jolin, California. So um, in the show, basically, uh, Leanne's sister, Tammy, was watching the show, saw herself, and they show like this really sweet, like old black and white family film that was like the last footage of them all together. There's something about old home video footage that just really tugs on those. It really does, and literally they're playing on the beach and like splashing around in the water. It's something that would be in a movie. Yeah, yeah, very cinematic. Yes, and so Tammy's watching this, and then she calls the telecenter, and what she doesn't know is that um, Leanne is at the telecenter that night for the night of the broadcast. Which is, like, amazing that they, like, invited her there to see, like, if anyone calls in. And so whoever answers the call, like, is like, oh, shit, this is Tammy. And then puts Leanne on the phone. And the two sisters get to talk. talk immediately. Yeah, it is the sweetest thing ever. And then the footage of them reuniting. We've talked about how Lost Loves, when they <laughs> film the reunions, can be a little awkward. This was, again, not. Like, they immediately hugged. And, like, it was like they had never even been separated. And then the sweetest thing was Leanne was like, we're all so young. Like, she was, like, 25, and her siblings were, like, 21 or something. Yeah. I'm getting the numbers wrong. But they're all in their 20s, and she's like, we're all healthy, we're all young, we have the rest of our lives. Like, I'm so happy that we got reunited now, because we can... It's really sweet. ...spend the rest of our lives together. It was the most... It's one of the best last loves. It was very brief, but it was super sweet. It did not make me want to die, like, the last one. Yeah. Um, it so yeah, I liked a, it. A more of a palate cleanser last love. It really was. It was very nice. It was sad because it's sad that they got split up, but they got reunited relatively early in life and they all seem like really nice people. And yeah, it's just super sweet. So thanks Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, thanks, thanks for that one. the people who worked at that call center. Yeah, it was so cool that Leanne was there. I know. That night. Just and then waiting. Tammy did call in. She was like, it's Tammy. What? I know. It was so sweet. So, um, best wishes to them. Oh yes. my goodness. Yes. Adorable. So that's it for the mysteries this time around. Should we rate this episode? Oh, I suppose. All right. Um, reenactments. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well, I thought the reenactments were pretty good, actually. So the first mystery, the one with all the cops, 
so many mustaches. It was just really quality. I mean, they I also have, had a lot of scenes. I gotta give it a thumbs up just for that paramedic guy looking at him like, really? I know. He just died. It was also just... Bitch, you want to rethink that? <laughs> Plus, yeah, you get cowboys. There are um, tons of scenes. I was really impressed by the production of this one because you get the guy, the police officers looking through files. You get the EMTs. You get them interviewing Dr. whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, and then you have all of the Wild West reenactments, which it seems like they did put a lot of work into. Yeah. So I thought it was really yeah, good. Yeah, thumbs I'm a, up. I'm a thumbs up. What did you think of the fashion? Hmm... The Wild West costumes were good. I don't I know if we can that count one that. guy was dressed as a scarecrow. Yeah. Uh, and also, if you like plaid, this is the segment for you. Sure is. I think I'm going to go sideways. I'm a sideways as well. Um, did I skip one? Reenactments, fashion, mysteriousness. We didn't do mysteriousness. Oh my god, you guys, my brain is like not <laughs> not present. It's not really that mysterious. No. We have that one guy that's not on his boat. But we're pretty sure he, he died at this point. Um, yeah, it's not mysterious at all. No, thumbs down. Thumbs down. And then Robert Stack's outfits. I mean, you got the trench coat. I'm a little sick of the Burberry you got the this Burberry. Point. Yeah, they're reusing that a lot. So, sideways? Sure, a sideways. And then the collective mustaches, the stack of mustaches. The mustache is, is MVM. <laughs> For this episode. I'll post a compilation. I took a ton of screenshots of this episode of All the Mustaches. Follow us on Instagram to see that. The, the stack. Very important. The mustache. Um, that's that's it. Okay, out of a possible five Robert Stacks, we can rate it zero to five Robert Stacks. How do you rate this one? I really like my first mystery. Um, I, feel, I wish they had gotten a little bit more in detail, but they seemed really determined not to mention a gay bar. Right. So... <laughs> episode might be like a solid three i would say yeah i i want to bump it up because i like that case but they didn't do the greatest job with it i don't think they so, i was really confused after i watched that one um the treasure segment wasn't even really about treasure but the last love was really sweet i did enjoy all the reenactments yeah what so, was your first one the yacht oh yes that's stupid clearly forget forgettable Corpus, yeah i keep the porpoise of justice the porpoise of justice is who memorable. didn't appear in the mystery unfortunately but <laughs> that would have been if only they had interviewed something. the porpoise of justice what do you think dolphin um it just makes that dolphin noise that like clicking yeah. noise that <laughs> flipper makes <laughs> it's just, it's just like that i don't know i just made that up i have no idea if that's what a dolphin sounds like uh yeah three let's go with three you were struggling to think of a recommendation do you have one i do i it's more of a palate cleanser recommendation Ooh, i like it and i don't know that we really need it for this episode but you know you could look at it we can, could use a palate cleanser for life actually you right know now, this week has been a this week bummer. has been real bad so i have not enjoyed it at all no Yes. That's why we need a palate cleanser. Yeah. And one was brought to my attention by a friend of the pod, Arden, who likes the Twitter account, I've Pet That Dog. <laughs> it is run by a nine-year-old boy named Gideon who likes petting dogs. Oh, my God. Every entry is just a picture of Gideon and a dog that he's pet. This sounds lovely. I it honestly want to cry. the sweetest, most wholesome, pure thing on the entire internet. So here is... I'm just, I just pulled it up right now. I'm Here's the, the, I'm gonna pull it up. It's literally the handle at I've pet that dog. Here's the most Gideon. recent update. I pet Sydney. She is a three-year-old rat terrier who is large for her breed. She is careful, loving, and shy. Sydney is known to be slow to warm up to people. One time, Sydney went kayaking and was surprised when she fell in the water. She <laughs> still goes kayaking, but doesn't like to swim. 
And then we get a picture of Gideon and Cindy. Oh, these are all so sweet. The next one is I pet Rusty. He is a five-year-old Rottweiler mix. He is normally a happy dog, but he can get scared around new people. He loves to fetch his tennis ball. Rusty is the 350th dog I've pet. Oh my God, Gideon's my hero. Gideon is living the life I want to live, honestly. Yeah. So this is just a record of the different dogs that Gideon oh, has picked. Here's, and all of them are adorable. Here's Gideon petting a boxer named Bones who is a 15-year-old. Oh. I also like that Gideon makes the same face in every single photo. Yes. Uh... Yeah, no, they're all great. Sometimes the, the factoids are hilarious. That This dog likes to grab bags of treats and walk around with them as if they all belong to him. <laughs> this dog once had candy stuck to her face after she ate an entire bag of candy corn. <laughs> you know, good stuff like that. There is uh, nothing more pure in this world this than is... this Twitter account. I'm going to do nothing but scroll through this Twitter. It's lovely. It is so lovely. I have a palate cleanser kind of too as a recommendation. Okay. I mean, this I'm is here a recommendation it. that I know. Listen, you guys, you are the audience for this recommendation. This is something that I used to love and it's come back on Netflix and I've never <sighs> been happier. If I'm you so like, excited right now. If you like trash drama reality TV shows uh-huh. and also. Uh-huh. The drama being produced is by burly men with mustaches. Okay. You need to watch Whisker Wars oh. on Netflix. <laughs> this show, it's, it's about bearding competitions. Yeah. So it follows these guys. I think it's on National Geographic. I'm not really sure. Travis and I discovered the show. It was on Netflix a few years ago. And I didn't look to see if the previous seasons are there because they they clearly have just come out with new content because they have a new season we've never seen. I didn't look to see if the old seasons are on Netflix, but if they are, you have to start at the beginning because they are so fucking funny. The amount of cattiness that these guys with these mustaches and beards have is out of this world. I'm pretty sure only women can be catty. Right. Yes. Exactly. It'll, this is going to rock your world. So I just had to say that to see Samantha's face. <laughs> Even though she knew I was joking, the amount of disdain. <laughs> just comes out. I can't help it. I know. So first of all, the premise is hilarious. It's, these follows these guys in Texas who do the bearding circuits. Yeah. And it's just what it sounds like. It's people who have beards and mustaches of all shapes and sizes going to these competitions and having their beards judged. And then they, in the first season that we watch, follows them and they do like the local bearding circuits, which is like the Austin, Texas bearding circuit or something. Sure. And then they, like, their goal is to go to the world championship in Norway or something. And like, apparently the Norwegians have like the bearding stuff figured out. That makes sense. My favorite. They're Vikings. Yeah, my favorite is, so everyone's, the crowd pleaser is like the full, like the big beards, the really long ones, but they also have like this category called freestyle, where they style their beards into Mm -hmm. shapes, and like different, like they'll put pop cans in them and make them be like big loops. This one guy literally made his beard look like an octopus, and it was practically a work of art. As you should do every day if you have a big beard. I just assume these guys like walk around. It's really funny. The first episode of the current season that we're watching, there was these two guys that literally looked like the same person. (laughs) Okay. And they were in the freestyle category. And the one guy made his beard look like a racetrack with bicycles on it. And then the other guy did like this. I'm so confused that that's even possible. I don't know. Apparently it took several hours. This other guy did like this like looping like 
more geometric style. The one guy with the geometric beard kept throwing shade at this other guy who won. He got like a perfect 10 across the board. And he was just throwing hard shade at this guy being like, that's not a beard you could walk around in. That's not a practical beard. He's, this isn't the spirit of the competition or some bullshit. It's just, it's hilarious. And yeah, the characters, the yeah, the characters in this show are just really funny. And we've only got one episode into the current season, but I already know I'm going to love it. And this is a podcast that appreciates facial hair. We have the MVM award. I mean, yeah, I guess. So I feel like you guys are the audience for the show. It's just so funny and so good. And I just remember really loving, and I've recommended the show to people all the time. When I actually brought it up to my coworkers this week, they're like, you've told us about this before. <laughs> and I was like, I know I have, but it's back on Netflix so you can watch it. I like the idea that, like, you're handing someone a business card and it says, like, Samantha, and then below that, fan of Whisker Wars. <laughs> like, it's, like, such a part of your personality or, or your identity that people are like, yeah, Samantha, we know. The other thing I we find funny... We saw the customized license plate. Yes, we get it. The other thing I find funny, and I asked Travis this when I was while we were watching the show a couple days ago, is, like, the Austin, Texas beard circuit. I'm like, how big could this be? So there's, like, rivalries these uh-huh, guys have. Sure. Mm-hmm. So these guys with the huge, long beards. I'm mean, like, first of all, there can't be that many of them. And there can't be that many of them that go to bearding competitions. So they're, all, they're talking about how this guy... Up, you know, pulled out an upset and stole the crown from this other guy. I'm like, don't they just like pass the award around? Like, it's, there's probably there's five guys. Subcultures of everything that do this. You can get so into. It. I don't know. It's crazy, but yeah, the drama is real. It's hilarious, and I highly recommend Whisker Wars. Well, I assume everybody has stopped listening because they're reading about the different dogs, Gideon as pet. I assume so. That's fair. Should we plug our shit and then wrap this up? <sighs> Let's do it. All right. Follow us on all the social medias where perhaps it's you. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Join our Facebook group if you're, you haven't already. Some, we're going to start posting exclusive things in there. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, but I'll say it again. We might do some like live streaming of this. I was hoping I could figure out how to live stream just our audio for like our Facebook group or our patrons. I've, Patreons. I've yet to figure what out what if how we to do live that. stream just your feet are people gonna pay me for that <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah we could do a, a top tier patreon where they get a live stream of my feet <laughs> yes <laughs> I, <laughs> sure let us know if that's something you really want. <laughs> like that I just threw that out there. <laughs> Samantha's looking at me like, what the F are you talking about? Sure, we could do that. Okay. Uh, so we're, again, looking for some different types of Patreon rewards. Check out Patreon and send us your suggestions for bonus content. <laughs> Such as live streams of Samantha's feet. Yeah, that's going to be the $10 a month tier. Oh, oh, only? What a deal. Okay. <laughs> what a deal? You think that's a deal? Uh, yeah. Oh. For some quality foot content. <laughs> <laughs> to some people, that might be a deal. Listen, if my feet could fetch more than that, I'll raise the price. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. We've lost you it. You can cut this all out. Okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what did we not plug? All right. If you wanted to email us a paranormal tale of something that happened to oh, you, yeah. that would Perhaps be it's you. podcast at gmail.com. We got a really sweet email. Yes. Thank you, Was Keith. Was that last week? For your email about how you cannot keep politics out of the show. Yeah. This was on the back of a, some negative feedback we got that I wholeheartedly disagree with and kind of bummed us out for a little while. I... And then we got this really sweet email from Keith that was like super thoughtful and yeah, I've yes. read it several times because it was so nice. Um, thanks for taking the time to do that. I spent a lot of this week thinking about the role of politics in the show. 
Yeah. And I understand that it's hard to live in the apocalypse all day, every day. Yeah. And sometimes we need a break. I don't think this show can be that. For one thing, I don't know that I can talk without bringing it up. <laughs> but also, just the range of topics that we're talking about. We're talking about... Societal issues are going to come yeah. up. Sorry, I don't know what to tell you. And we have opinions on these, and it's our podcast, and we're going to say them. So it's if that podcast. offends you, go listen this, to a different podcast. This might not be know. a podcast for you. There's millions of podcasts. Go listen to a different one. <laughs> There's many other Unsolved Mysteries you, podcasts. Go if you don't like it, you can get your zero dollar, zero cent refund. Yeah. Um, like last episode, we literally talked about both the Holocaust and spies. And how are you going to do that in a way that is apolitical? It just wouldn't... It would just literally be a summary of the show. It would oh, be nothing yeah. else. I, are we counting like LGBT rights as political? I put a... I really did search my soul about if that was appropriate and i came just came down to it yeah it's unavoidable literally record the audio of unsolved mysteries if you don't want if you don't want to know what we have to say about it then this isn't the show for you because that's what this is i don't get it i just resent getting feedback that's like leave politics out of it the only reason you're saying that is because you don't want i mean the answer is no yeah and you don't want people to have political opinions that disagree with you yeah because you're not going around telling that to people who agree with you Sure. Because why are we even doing this? I don't know. For fun, yeah. right? Yeah. We're not making the podcast. You might think we are. We sure aren't. Uh, we thank our Patreons. That's keeping us going, but it's not like paying the mortgage. No. You know? No. <laughs> this is a hobby, okay? <laughs> so. um, I, I could rant about this all day, I but. Sure and I just, I for the most part, I bring this up because. We got that super sweet email from Keith, and it made me realize that most of our fans, if not pretty much all of our fans now, because as far as I know, that person logged off. Um, they, they had to tap out. Yeah. So we really do. Everyone who has left us good reviews and positive feedback on our Facebook page, too, because those are public, um, it helps us a lot. It helps. So think about, you know, if you haven't rated your favorite indie podcast, go give them a five-star review, because not only does it help them, like the algorithms yeah it helps it get recommended more it helps it show up in searches better it helps in all kinds of ways when you're a little guy the algorithms really are against you so all of the positive reviews help a lot and also it just boosts their confidence you know and the nice email from keith i know we've gone on about this for a while but also made me like realize that like you could spend like 10 minutes of your day writing someone a nice email with some positive feedback and it like really affects them for a long time and really so yeah. if there's, you know, an indie podcast that you really like, consider giving them a good review and saying some nice things, what you like about their podcast, or sending them an email because it really helps us out. So that's where I was going with that. Thank you so much. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. I did learn that civilians aren't actually supposed to salute the flag, which I sort of thought after I said that, like, wait, yeah. when would I do that? It will never come up ever. Yeah. The point of that, of you even saying that, was saying I more res- about the Zelenskys than about the Zelenskys. Than, was my than point. about anything else. I don't. I clearly I got lost in my delivery. But my point was, the Zelenskys are worthy of my respect. The nation of the United States is not. <laughs> All right, anyway. bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>